Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to this thing that I call the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and uh, what else am I? Chef. Chef. A, chef. Baker. Hairdresser. Hairdresser. You color my hair. Blogging. Uh, Extraordinary. Yeah, I, I've done a few things. Just saying. So okay. this is this is the Alan Mead Experience. Welcome. Uh, if you guys are interested in in being in communication with us, go over to Facebook. Check out the Facebook group, the Alan Mead Experience. Ask for an invite. Use the password Premier. You can get in. You can talk to all of us. It's a good time. Now I got to introduce you to this guest. This this guy. I've known this guy. We're going to probably have to go back in time in a little while to figure out exactly when we first met. But uh, he's been on the Dental Hacks podcast about a million times. Uh, he's. I think he's the king of Sewanee, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, welcome, Dr. Frank Clayton, to the Alamee Experience. The king. I'm so I'm glad to be here. That's up for re-election. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When's, I, when's your term up? Uh, it is up in June the 1st. There's a special vote. Um, I'm trying to change it to the Shah, Shah of yeah. Swanee. Because then you won't have to, you won't have to worry about re-election stuff like that. Exactly, and it just sounds better, like just the Shah yeah. of Swanee instead. Better of outfits, King. better outfits to be sure. A lot better, yeah, a lot sure. better. And it's summertime in June, so when I campaign, I can wear the garb. You yeah, know, that's yeah. more desert like. Yeah, it's. So. I hope it's. I hope it's drafty under there because that could be hot. It looked like. I mean, it like, can. it's. We go camo. We do it at the office in I like the that. summertime. I like Have that. you been in the south in the summertime? It's uh, not really. Not. I. I mean, I've been more south than I am right this moment, but I haven't been in the south. I've been actually. You know what? That's not quite true. Like I went hiking in North Carolina in June, but that was in the that was in the Smoky Mountains near Cherokee. Uh, that's yeah, not really, well, it's the south, but I, I don't think it was quite as balmy there as it probably is where you are. Yeah. And balm is a good way to say uh, yeah. other things, but yeah, yeah, um, kind of about ten degrees cooler. In yeah, yeah. And the cigarettes are way cheaper. Just so you know, you buy them on the reservation. It's cheap. It's great. It's great. The four, the four years that I spent in prison after dental school, luckily I went to UNC. Yeah, ha- had satchelfuls of cigarettes that I traded. Yeah, and if you're going to go into prison anywhere, North Carolina is the place to do it because the value of the tobacco a lot higher than a lot of other states. From Interesting. Interesting. Good to know so, that. Well, tidbit. Well, pearl. I spent. Um, actually, I did spend some time in North Carolina, New Bern, North Carolina, when oh, I was Pepsi? a junior, maybe after, maybe between my sophomore and junior year of college. I was. What were you doing there? Well, I was. I was going to go to vet school. Okay, it's a good story. It's going to go to vet school. And to do vet school, I think to do dental school, you probably need to have this too, but you need to have a certain number of hours, like volunteer hours or or hours where you've just worked in a situation where you're working with a veterinarian or working with animals or working with... And this was long before I was married to my lovely wife where we actually have a horse farm and I could get those hours in no time flat. So um, my uncle, my mom's brother, lived in New Bern, North Carolina. He was... He was a supervisor for Cargill Pork. Yeah. So he basically yeah. he he basically was the manager for like 
20 of these big CAFO farms. You know, the ones, the ones that always so, sort of end up in 2020 where it's where the pig farm is actually like a giant toilet. Of and, course. And they've got, they've got those lagoons full of uh, pig manure. But they and, don't use hormones. No. <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> so I, I tell I you exactly what, what you're talking about. I, I, spent, I spent time on that. I actually got buff just walking around. The, the hormones were literally <laughs> in the air. It's like a fentanyl patch. All you had to do was touch a pig. It is. It is. And you became roided up. Well, okay. So, so the story is the first, the first like week I spent on what's called a feeder pig farm. Now, a feeder pig farm, that's where the babies are born. And um, it, it was horrifying. It was all, honestly, it was all horrifying. You'll notice I ended up a dentist. So this whole, this whole go down south, get your hours for vet school down with Uncle Gary at the Cargill Farms. And it was just like, honestly... It would be like it would be like if you were gonna like um, go to political science school and you got your your hours in like in, the, in like in like the fucking killing fields of Vietnam or something. Yes, it was it was it was horrible. Anyhow, so I have two weeks on giant pig farm. So the uh, the feeder pig farm, uh, it's where all the babies are born, and you think, oh, the babies are cute, and they are cute. You know, it's not cute, mom, mom who is doesn't want you to even come close to her babies. That is not cute. That's so scary. what's the goal on the thing? Are you there to take away the little piglets? Yeah, well, here's the deal. So the piglets are, you know, to start with, they got to hang out with mom. So mom is in this, it's so horrible. This I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that this exists. Uh, mom is in this, like, caged thing. Like, she literally can't really, she can just barely lay down. It's just big enough. But she can't, like, walk a step or anything like that. And all she does is eat and then lay down and let the, let the little piglets suckle. So then, so the little piglets are okay. This is mom. This is cool. They stay with their litter, and they are kind of adorable. But like after when they're like three days old, you go in. I'm not even kidding. They used a, a shopping cart. You grab all these piglets and throw them in a shopping cart, which sounds like a lot of fun. And actually, they were pretty cute. They were not happy to be in the shopping cart uh, you, away from their mother. Yeah, exactly. Their eyes are barely open, if they are at all. And so you, you take them and and. The stress of taking them away from their mother, and actually, it was only the boy pigs that we did this to. Uh, the farmer, um, most of those boy pigs were not going to be boars. Most of them were going to be geldings. Most of them were never going to be uh, allowed to. Literally, their testicles were not even going to descend. Literally, three days in, the dude with no anesthesia or whatever did a, a little surgery on them. And they didn't like that. You can imagine... Uh, they did not care for that, where he took a little jackknife and just kind of like went to town, and it, it was it was horrifying. There was no there was no comfort level, so they were stressed out like crazy. And then he'd hand them to me, and I would take this this medicine, this pump of medicine, and give him like two pumps of anti scour medicine. Anti scour is just like basically diarrhea. So I give him a big dose of anti diarrheal. They're they're screaming. I I'm, I haven't thought about this in years. I'm kind of like flashing back right now. This is not good. I love it. I've never heard you say this. And then and then yeah, I I don't think I ever have said it. Um, and then you'd put them back in the little the um, you'd put them back in the shopping cart and then bring them back to their mom, and, and you know what's nuts is uh, I shouldn't say nuts it's a really wrong thing to say. True, what's but cra- it's appropriate. What's crazy is they just bounce back like nothing happened. Like two seconds later, the dude literally just gelded them, and they were like they're like they will always sing high, you know. So. <laughs> That's so, the beauty of missing part of the frontal lobe. It's like a teenager. I'm telling you. Well, well these are three days old. I don't think they're – like I said, I don't think their <laughs> eyes were open, so they never knew what hit them. But so – and they heal up in no time flat. You know, they're, uh, they're literally on mama's milk for a while. And then they're, and then they're weaned off mama's milk, and they, they feed these – they call them a feeder pig farm because once they're done with – you know, once they're weaned, 
the whole goal is to see how much weight you can put on these pigs, how fast you can grow them to, to bring them to, to market, you know? So what's amazing is then you go up to the next, the next level where they've started to grow and they really do, they grow really fast. And all they do is sit there and eat. None of them are, they're not fat. They're not fat at all. Like when you think of a pig being a big fat, these things are just, they are lean muscle. Uh, it's unbelievable. So they're all, you know, the, 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 you know, mid mid teenage pigs or whatever. I don't know how old they're supposed to be. They're about the size of a, a golden lab, and they're literally the most muscular thing you've ever seen in your entire life. They don't really care to be handled by a person, and and they could easily. But they're not big enough to knock you over. But they're tough. You know, they're it was it was nuts. And th- then I would go. Then the the next week I went to like the regular pig farm where they were basically they were finished the finishing farms. And finish means like a, a lot of the time. Um, Oh, the feeder pig farms were also the feeder pig farms also where they bred them. So they'd have the boar barn, and you'd go in there, and there'd be fifteen or twenty. And you tell the boars were the ones. Oh, the other thing they did when they were little babies, they they um they cut their their canine teeth out. They just like he just like would take pliers and snap them right off, and the, and so no wonder they were stressed out between getting their nuts cut off and and their their teeth busted off. But so the boar didn't fight the others. I, yeah, for sure, for sure, because they couldn't injure each other. The boars they left the tusks on, so you so you'd go into the boar barn. First off, these boars would have loved nothing more than to kill you, and and you could smell the testosterone in the boar barn. It was nuts. It was it was crazy. Like it was, and and you'd oh yeah, I I actually. I didn't participate, but but watched multiple times in the breeding. Uh, it was it was horrifying. So from start to finish, they do this, and before and by the way, this the the adage: this little piggy went to market. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I thought when you said you put him in a grocery cart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from start to market, how long does it take to take like that suckling little pig? Fatten it up, get it right, and then they're off to That's a good slaughter. question. Because I, cause I, cause I went to another farm after the, the feeder pig farm, and then that was like the finishing farm, and they were bigger. I don't know, though. I want to say it's I, I want to say it's like I doubt any of the, the pigs that are going really for, for big meat. I doubt any of them are, are older than a year. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think, I don't think they're any older. And that's a good question. And I, I probably, if I were closer to that time, I probably could have told you. I'm just literally like reeling from the fact that it was horrifying. And the other, well, thing that's was, why you're in dentistry. Yeah, I, I literally. So I got my hours, and I literally was uh, when I was driving home from North Carolina. I'm thinking to myself, I know I'm not going to, to vet school. You know the story too is I, I took uh, when I, I think I've told the story when I took the uh, I took the DAT. I was like 98 percent sure I was going to be a vet. So I didn't study. I didn't. I just like whatever. I already signed up for this dumb thing. I got to take it. And I did great on the DAT. I didn't do great on the organic chem part, but I did. Like I did. I I got a scholarship from the biology section. Apparently, I like. I think I got a hundred percent on the biology part or something like that, which makes sense. I was a zoology major. I did really well. But I think part of it was like I'm like whatever. You know, I wasn't nervous about anything because it didn't mean anything at that point. Yep. And I did the same thing for the the the, at the time the VA or the what is it the GRE. Uh, is that what they take for, for vet school at the time? There, there is something called the VCAT too, but which is like a, like the MCAT but for vet school. And I have to tell you, vet school is really selective, like because there's not that many of them. Um, but I never, I never actually applied to vet school. I never got that far. Uh, but again, well, when I when I took the GRE for vet school, I was already sure I was going to be a dentist both times. That's the way to take standardized tests, by the way. And I think you nailed that. That's exactly what I've got a son in college who has test anxiety and does horrible on tests. So. I'm giving him a beta blocker yeah. to, to get the anxiety down because he overthinks things. So I'm thinking exactly what you said, that a lot of people 
overprepared and they get in there and they just kind of freak out. If you go in there and think, dude, man, I'm going to be whatever else. And you take it with kind of that frame in mind, but with the knowledge, I think you're on to like some Kaplan sub Kaplan yeah. thing. Yeah. What's, like what, a psychological thing. So you've, you've got a, you've got a, one of your kiddos is, has test anxiety in college. Yes. Well, you know, the other thing, think of how horrible that is because you know that, especially if you've prepared and stuff and you still, the test anxiety is what wrecks your, wrecks your thinking. That's horrible. Like you can't even prove what you even know at that point. And, and there, you know, and that's what he said. And I used to have it in college and, and funny that I took the same medication for it. And it kind of, that's what got me through DAT and, and pre-studies mm-hmm. for dental school. Mm-hmm. So I know where he's coming from. But my first couple of years of college, I had no idea. I knew the stuff, but I take the test and go, God, I really, I really screwed that up, but I don't know anything. So I hear exactly where you're coming we had, from. Okay. So in dental school, it's really funny. I don't know if, I don't know if my friend Laura listens to this podcast i'm gonna have to make sure she does because i've i have literally never talked to her about this even though everyone in my dental school class knows what i'm where i'm going so remember remember in dental school like you'd have one lecture room that was kind of the the oh, at least at minnesota you'd have we had one lecture room for our class and basically the teachers rotated through we didn't even move like it was a big lecture hall and everyone always sat in the same place. We had these yes. weird routine yes. things, you know, and, and some guys were in the back reading the newspaper. And for whatever reason, I was always on like the le- there was it was three sec- sections. I was on the left section on the aisle all the time. All the time. Every time it was wacky, like like it's we're such creatures of habit that that's just how it was. And, yep. and you sat with the people that you sat with. And it was there was like you didn't really mix it up that much. Um, it was weird. But we also would take tests in that same lecture hall. And um, I think they made you spread out a little bit more. But you, you remember what happened was you were taking a test with your entire class. And so, you know, you're all taking the same test, essentially, all together. So everyone knows who gets done first. Yeah. Everyone knows, like, you know, it, you're not talking, but there's a lot of, like, just signals where someone's, like, yeah. rustling their paper. or t- <laughs> Okay, so so basically, I was, this is how I took tests. I I. For for as anxious of a guy and as, as neurotic of a guy as I am, I take tests like a champion. I just go in there and you know what? If I knew it, sweet. If I didn't, well, I don't know it, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't belabor it. You know, like you wouldn't overthink it. You remember how? Remember how the test, the test prep things would always they give you statistically. If you didn't mm-hmm. know for sure, you'd you'd go back and you'd 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 cross out some the less likely ones and blah, blah, blah. You sit there and, and I never did that. I'm just like, I don't know. Let's hope for the best. You know, it's, and after a while you take enough tests, you actually kind of develop those skills. But what I remember is I was done first all the time. Every single time I was done first. Cause I, I would not belabor it. If I didn't know it, I wasn't going to sit there and torture myself. So I, and, and it was always me or Laura, Laura and I, and, and, and it wasn't like just occasionally it was us. It was every time. And I don't think I ever said a word to her about it. Everyone knew it. They couldn't not know it. We all took tests together. But it was always Laura and I. For, I knew for a fact, for me, test-wise, if I didn't know it, I was done. So I just think that's really funny. And and since everyone, we took all our classes together for all the time, like we all kind of knew this about each other. Isn't that wacky? Yep. Well, I thought about the, the same thing. When we would go, we would, uh, different class or different auditoriums, but I swear this, the people would sit in the same spots. And I always wondered the psychology of why people sit where they do, but even in different rooms. Yeah. So you take your theory and you go, and, and we would have six, seven different rooms that we would rotate, but people would sit 
similarly in the same order for four years. Yeah. People did that. Yeah. And if something if something was odd, like if somebody was sitting out of place, it was almost like when you were in third grade and you had that substitute teacher yep. or yep. when you see, see other kids on a field trip when you were in elementary school and they all looked odd. Yep. That's when somebody was out of their place, it, it kind of threw like the whole thing off. So I know exactly what you're saying. Totally. Like if someone was, it, if someone sat in your place, not realizing oh, you didn't, you didn't yes. know what to do, man. I actually have to tell you, I have a parking spot in my, in my, uh, in my, it's not official. I don't have a sign on or anything like that, but I park in the same place in my own parking lot every day. Everyone kind of knows everyone has their place kind of. But if like someone happens to like someone doesn't know the system happens to park there, yeah. I'm thrown off, man. I'm not sure yeah. quite what to do. Where do I park? It's a, it, it's almost like you threw you went three hours west. The time has changed on you. You're in a <laughs> exactly. different. You know, you're like, wait a minute, and your whole day starts that way. And I know exactly what you have because we all have ours. The first thing it's funny you say that. Yesterday, my hygienist came in. She goes, "You wouldn't believe where I had to park." Thinking where, and it wasn't her usual spot, so it threw her off. Yep. She goes, the parking lot was so full, I had to park over here. But she, the fact that she said it and it threw her off, there's something about being a creature of habit, people yeah. liking the same things. We're all just barely evolved apes, Frank. We're- well, I'm a caveman <laughs> with a hand. Piece. Yeah, a caveman um, with and just slightly less body hair. Just slightly. We trademark that slightly. Real quick. Yeah. That's <laughs> So um, here's something that's kind of funny. Did you ever did you ever play a, a an instrument in in like high school? Anything like that? No. No, no and I wish I did. Okay, so yeah. here's here's. I was in the marching band forever. I, I mean, I I played saxophone from when I was about fourth grade on. I even marched and I marched in the marching band in college. It was like the best thing ever in college. Anyhow, but in high school, very occasionally you would have a sub, and it was all it was so funny because we never talked about it. But as soon as we knew we had a sub, everyone switched instruments. Like, like I played the saxophone and then the sub would be there. I was playing trombone that day or, or two. And of course they, the subs were usually almost never actual music teachers. So let's be honest, this is an English teacher that has to sit in there and, and, and keep, exactly. keep the world from ending. And so you, you knew that you were going to get away with it. It wasn't like you're going to get in trouble or anything like that. And so, but it's like, it's like universal. Every bando that you've ever heard of when they had a sub, they all switched instruments because that's what they do. So I, I, if there's any Alan Mead experience listeners that have, have experienced that, you need to go to the Facebook page and tell me about it because we did that constantly. We did that constantly. We were just awful. But you know what's wild? You don't even have to tell somebody else that. That's ingrained. That's somebody's been hardwired. Yeah. Because they've done it and they just clicked in their brain and they went, oh my God, we did the same thing. <laughs> totally. We have to do same that. Thing. You told the sub a different name. So yeah. when the sub would come in, you'd be somebody else. Yep. As if they even so, if you logically thought about it, the sub they really care. didn't know your name anyway. Yeah, they didn't care. What were they going to do? You were fooling her. All- you were fooling yourself and your friends. And I guess that's as part an of adult, it. as an adult, if you were a sub teacher, okay. So the you think the goal is actually to get through the lesson plans and, and actually teach them something? If you, I mean, if you if you were trained in in that actual, you know, if you were a math teacher and you were subbing for a math class, maybe. You might maybe, right? Like, but you didn't teach like the actual teacher did. So that teacher did not actually hope that you were going to teach anything that, that you weren't going to have to go back and teach. So as an adult substitute teacher, you know, you're just trying to keep, keep the, basically, you're just keeping, keeping the kids from lighting the place on fire, basically. I'm, and I'll say it out loud, you're checking hygiene. 
Yeah. You don't get to step on the rheostat. <laughs> yes. As a substitute teacher, that's all you do. And by checking hygiene, you're not really even like you know, oh, you're, no, you're no. not really you're not really you're not uh, you're not looking to try and treatment plan anything. Oh no, no, no. You're making sure that the patient is not bleeding out before they leave. Yes. Maybe not even that. Maybe you're just maybe you're just I, I Hygiene checks are like such a funny thing because everyone does them differently. I remember hearing people say that a lot of times the guy who I bought my practice from, you'd get a hygiene check. That meant he leaned in and said hello. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, first off, but, but but I'll bet you he charged for that. Like, of I'll, course he did. You lean in and do a hygiene check. But, I mean, like, <laughs> he probably charged an exam. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's super fraudulent, right? Well, Hygiene check now is like marital sex, and you're just kind of you're going through the motions. If something good happens, maybe a crown comes out of it or an implant. Yeah. Bonus. Bonus. It is, you know what I mean? It is true. It is true because but you know, okay. So I was actually I've been listening to um, I, don't, I don't know if you've got access to the Spear Online, their educational stuff. Yes, it's, it's super I'm good. A like subscriber, this. and I will highly recommend that. Oh that my gosh, totally. It is. It is really. It is really good. Everything about it, right from the patient education stuff, but but I mean the philosophical stuff is actually quite good. And and they were talking about the hardest person that you, if you were going to make a change in your office of any sort, let's say let's say um, let's say Frank went to Coys uh, or Spear and his life has changed from now on. It's all comprehensive and it's all it's all one hour comprehensive exams and it's all like like models on articulators and, and treatment planning and studying and and I'm I'm sort of saying this a little bit tongue in cheek maybe that's sure. what you, maybe that's what you do I don't I, it's pretty pretty few and far between that that happens but the hardest person to make that change on is someone you've been seeing in your hygiene for for 15 years you know what I'm saying like oh, like at what you know yes. after so 15 years of you just kind of making sure they didn't have any giant holes in their teeth and. And stuff like that, and then you come in and decide. Oh, by the way, <laughs> this is—you really need this. I'm like, there's zero credibility. I've thought about this. I, I thought if you really want to make a change in the way that you practice dentistry, I think the only way to do it is sell your damn practice and start a new one. I, I totally. I was thinking of this the other day when I thought, well, I'll merge this practice. Then all of a sudden, I pick up this guy's patient who is the head leaner. And I love taking a call for him. Hey, morning. How you doing, Bob? Exactly. Yeah, that's all you get. Exactly. And so I, I thought about that. I thought the, the first time I check one of his 30-year patients after he sells the practice. Yeah. And by the way, he doesn't own a probe. I'm positive he doesn't own a probe. <laughs> that patient's going to go, uh, no, and bail, and then I lose my investment. And yeah. there's an art to it. So I think you're... You're right. If you're looking for a total shift, and I don't say the word paradigm, so I'm not, yep. but a whole shift, sell your practice and start it that way because it attracts people that way. Yeah. So I, I, right. I also I also have to say, and I mean, I love I, I love this, the spear concept and the comprehensive care. I love how in those videos when they talk about single-tooth dentists, <laughs> how, how we're sort of single-tooth dentists are kind of, they don't. It's a tone. They don't say yeah. anything bad. They, they're always like, yeah. you know, hey, look, that's that's a kind of. But the tone is sort of like single tooth dentist. And I think to myself, this is horrible. I'm almost, you know all, all my all my spear people are going to hate me. I love well, being, I love being a single tooth dentist. I'm I'm single tooth I, I love I'd love to I'd love to do a quadrant of crowns. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes I get to do that. But to be frank, 
I love single tooth dentistry. I love like I, I love it. I love a single. Give me a single molar crown any day, man. I love that stuff. Root canal at at three thirty. Just give me. A, you know. By the way, the single tooth dentist. They say it in the same tone as when you were in fourth grade and the kid across from you had a Hydrox cookie, but you had an Oreo. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's kind of that kind of thing. It's so, exactly right. I've I've had one of those Hydrox cookies. They're they're pretty good. I mean, it's not an Oreo, but they're pretty good. Exactly. Exactly. Nothing wrong with Hydrox. I don't I don't want it, but there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, get an Oreo every now and then. Plus, you know what? I had a full arch case, and I very rarely have them. I was thankful for it for the income. Blah blah. blah, It made a difference. Patients' life. Whatever. (laughs) I was so unfocused by the. Third hour of sitting there staring at things. Yep. And, then I, and in my head, I'm thinking, God, I missed all these Gomer Pyle reruns. And <laughs> there was messages there that I just did. And I mean, honestly, I started thinking about that. And I just like, this is why I can't do this every day. Plus, yeah. I don't have, you know, the master skills. My, my concern was, my concern about full arch cases. I, honestly, I think full arch and, and, and big case stuff, I... I mean, there was a time in my career I aspired to that. But you know what's funny? If you don't do that all the time, I mean, even if you've had the the training for it, even if you've gone to every single thing Coys has ever done and then some, or you've done the whole spirit, if you've got that training, it, I'm convinced everything in dentistry comes down to muscle memory and reps. And if you, yes, if you, do, if you do one full arch case a year, you are yep. literally relearning how to do it on that patient every time exactly. that you do it. Like, like God love the prosthodontist that literally, like, yeah, I prep. I usually prep an arch in the morning. In that, that's what that's what Coy's always said. I prep in the morning because I'm fresher in the morning, and then I'll <laughs> deliver. In, I'll deliver the arch in the afternoon. And, and uh, I mean, but you know, like to him, that arch prep is like my crown. It's like my single yeah. crown. It's just you know, it's the same thing except twelve of them. You know, and, and the beauty of dentistry, you get to pick it. Yeah. Like you said, if you start shifting gears and you come home from that weekend and the Kool-Aid is around your lips and it's mm-hmm. usually grape and it's there for yep. a week. Yep, yep. And, and actually, you, you, start- kind of, you kind of put your lips right in the bottle and sort of sucked on it so they're like overly oh, yeah. swollen. You really, you, oh, went, yeah, yes. you, you weren't letting any of that Kool-Aid get away. You were getting all And you it. squeeze the bottle a little yep, bit. So a little it made bit. that little crackling sound. Yep, yep, exactly. Like, I'm f***ing and Monday, everybody's changing. Yep. And then by Thursday, you're like, yeah, hey, but, on by, thir- hey. by Thursday, you're like, you know what's awesome? Single root canal. That's awesome. Yes. Start to I finish. Mean, uh, you know, you know what else is awesome? A crown on an upper premolar. Oh, <laughs> that, my just, oh my gosh! It's like it's like I'm done before I even started. Yes, I, <laughs> I'll take one. I swear, I'll take one of those over. You know, a uh, uh, number eighteen and nineteen that you can't get numb. Yeah, you always have to adjust on insertion because the lab, even though you give them a bite and you know you read the Torah to them and you give them all the information in the world, you still adjust. You give me number four root canal on a Thursday afternoon? <laughs> Are you kidding? If, I mean, I don't drink anymore, but if I did, that's when I'd start right then. Because oh, I don't, I, take I don't a- even need it. I could be. I, I no, yeah, that is on a Thursday afternoon too. And that is the other thing. <laughs> Number four, root canal. She just had endo last week. Really? <laughs> As I light my cigarette and walk in the room. Let's get this party started. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> but <Perfect>. what, <laughs> my favorite thing in the world is the patient that uh, tells you that they just had the root canal done. And you go in there. 
and the temporary is like four millimeters worn away. <laughs> and oh, you, yeah. You, you, I just, Doc, I just had it done. You look, you look at the yes. referrals. Sheet, it was 18 months ago. And exactly. you're, thinking, you're thinking to yourself, well, the temporary is still intact, so that's good. That's the, good. The, the tooth hasn't fractured subcrestly, so I can't restore it. But then you're like, I mean, is this root canal okay? Eighteen months later, should I should exactly. I be sending it back? And and I I'm not gonna lie to you, that's a hard sell for the patient, right? That's yes, the, the patient's is. like, wait a second, Doc, it doesn't hurt. I'm fine. Like, sure, I've been bathing it in my saliva for you know yep. twelve twelve to fifteen months, but whatever, you know. That's true. That is so true. It it is funny too, like like endo an endo treated tooth that you have to restore. It. it it doesn't it doesn't like follow the the rules of of physics on that deal like like you put it in your schedule and and is there anything better than when you see the, you see the patient you see on your schedule it's tooth number 18 you're like oh man you know i'm going to have to probably block that or i'm going to you know it's going to numb and it's going to be pain and then you walk in the room and it's endo treated yeah <laughs> and you're like Clouds you're like oh my yes. god oh my god i <laughs> It's like the the light at the end of the tunnel is right there. You're seeing it. You're, I mean, that is so funny. That doesn't have usually. I know when it's endo treated. I almost always do because they schedule it as such, or they know. But if they happen and like kind of miss that, and it's endo treated. That's like that's like getting a Christmas that, present early. I mean, it, it really is. And every dentist listening to this knows exactly what that is. <laughs> it's true. Thirty one or eighteen. Oh, sh- <laughs> and you walk in there and you look at that PA and you're like, yeah. It, it is. And it is. It is. It's so funny because. That's that's the single tooth dentistry that I could that I could hang my hat on right there too. I mean, all day. I had I had a day to, I had a day today that was so funny. I literally thought to myself at about I was asking for it about three thirty. I'm like, you know what? A day like today, I, everything I did today, I was proud of. I was okay. Things went well. Like like I made I I did a I I uh, I did a on I prepped number eleven and then shucked number ten. And put a provisional bridge, like a, a cantilever bridge, and I I wouldn't typically do that, but just really worked out for the well. So this provisional was the best provisional I've ever made in my entire life. I swear to God, it looked amazing, and the prep went like I thought that the I thought the canine was going to be more beat up than it was. The prep was beautiful, and he wasn't even bleeding by the time he said it was just great. And then I, I got a woman come in right after lunch, and we basically did six composite veneers. They I I think they were probably in his five surface fillings, but let's be honest, they were composite veneers. Yep. And yep. and you know what? They went flawlessly. Which is not yeah. not typical. Not typical. Usually those are a pain. Went What's flawlessly. I then I got the last thing of the day. I got four o'clock. I got uh eighteen no, it's thirty one MO. So the woman comes in, she had a brain tumor that was like operated on last year and she's like she can't work anymore, she can't drive anymore, she has no short term memory. It's kind of tragic and she's got a real dry mouth. I don't know when we had treatment planned this tooth. It was eighteen. She wasn't gonna do a crown on it. We treatment planned a crown a while ago. She's like, Let's do a filling because I just I just can't handle it. And I, I can live with that, right? That's so <laughs> I get her numb. Of course she's tough to numb. So I'm I'm twenty five minutes into the deal. This is after my day of literally I was just putting up three pointers from from way out and just nailing them, boom, boom, boom. So I, I pre-wedge this filling. I'm like, I give myself a little room. And the existing filling comes out when I wedge it, right? Like this, 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 wow. I didn't, I, I, I had looked at the, the bite wing and it looked like there was decay, but like this tooth literally had been hollowed out from underneath this filling. So the filling comes out, I'm like, Oof, and you can see debris that was under the filling and who knows how long, you're like, oh, this isn't good. And I, I started cleaning it out. I started cleaning it out and it was, it was like, whoa, you're just seeing like, the decalcification is huge, and 
and she turns her head. I don't know if the tooth was exposed before she turned her head or not, but boom, I was, I was in there. I was in there. I mean, uh, it was going to be exposed, but she, after all this, she was really not numb enough for me to, um, I couldn't get her numb enough to, to actually get the pulp out of there. Um, you know, so like after a day of like nailing three pointers from way out, <laughs> I'm back down, to, back down to the, back down to earth. She's fine. We did. Okay. It was really ugly though. But of course, and, and I didn't have enough time to do anything. I was late to my cub scout meeting tonight because it was just, it was a mess. And you're just like, that's what happens. Like, I always wonder if that happens to a guy like me that does a lot of kind of single tooth sort of Mickey mouse dentistry. <laughs> What what, ha- what happens to those guys who are prepping full arches and, and stuff doesn't go right, all the know? time? Yeah, and don't let them tell you otherwise. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. It's, it's the battle you choose. When the other thing is, is like so much of your treatment plan depends on what it looks like when you get in there. And, yes, and I mean you can be quick on your feet to explain to understand where you have to where you have to get them ready for something if it doesn't go well or whatever. But when you when you're doing a full arch. You're 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 taking the chance of that happening by one tooth and multiplying it by however many teeth you're prepping. Exactly. Oh man, that stresses me out just thinking about it. And you know what else changes treatment plans? Uh, if the patient's a pain in the ass, uh, it, it, all the ideal stuff that I learned in dental school. Yeah. And you know, if if they if you start getting the flags, or if it's just yeah, we'll roll with it. Your treatment plan. Then you go. Oh hey man. Ginger's going to really suck. You're not going to like it. I'm not even going to do it. Yeah. What? Yeah. Not even going to do it. You can go somewhere else for that. We're going to put two implants in there and do this. Okay. And sometimes your best, you know, if you, and I'm starting to say it more, and I kind of learned that from Rich Rosenblatt, but, you know, you and I and many other people, you bend over to try to please people and still it doesn't. And it's no fault of yours. Mm hmm. Material failure, biologic failure. Now I tell people, hey, when your body heals, it'll be ready to restore. Talking about an implant. Mm-hmm. When can I? When can you put some? I don't know. When your body heals, <laughs> when, I can't do anything when, about it. When your, I like that. When your body heals, yeah, I love that. Like you're not, your you're court. not even letting them try and hang it on you at all. Nope. They want a number. They go when you think three, six months. I don't know. When when can your body heal that? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Get to work yeah. on. Get to work on healing that. Come on, yeah. get to it. Get to it. I throw it right back. I just, um, I don't know, older I get, but man, there's some stuff that's not even presented anymore. There's one today. I'm like, not even doing a lower denture. He goes, you don't do dentures? I go, not on you. Not. <laughs> My assistant just looking at me like, you're becoming the ordinary bastard. <laughs> but but you know what? That It's better for everyone. Because, you know, yes. there, might, there might be people like McCall that are denture whisperers that could do that and make it look good. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I have my dad do all my dentures. My dad, who who sold his practice, you know, five years ago or whatever, and he worked for two years in a clinic up north, basically doing nothing but taking teeth out and doing dentures. Yeah, he's he does my dentures. You know, he's great at it. And I don't, well, I don't, I don't like dentures at all. I can't stand them. And let me along those lines, the art of removable as a lab is dying faster than those pigs that you hung out with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's first of all partials. You got to be kidding! I get stuff back, and if it's not plug and play, that lab they just—it's an art, and they don't know. You know, okay. So when you have a partial that's that's there for delivery, okay, you've done try-ins, you've done the best you can. How do you feel about delivering partials? Are you do you look forward to handing them their new teeth? Jesus. 
I walk in that room. First of all, I get I have my assistant like pop me up a little message, like either a thumbs up or down. And if it's down, let's start start getting creative with bullcrap. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it, it's just not going to be good. So now I've even learned at the very, very beginning. I'm like, yeah, you're going to hate this denture. Yeah. I go, well, what am I paying for it? I go, I don't know, because it's not going to be any good. And if, and if I walk in that room and it's halfway good, then we're there. But I, I set expectations lower than like a dowry. I mean, I'm just telling you that I hate them so much and they just don't perform yep. like fixed. They, it, they just don't. And I can't even find a lab that is halfway skilled and I've tried a thousand for removable that I just... I walk in there with like my head down going, geez. And when they go, this feels great. I look at my assistant like, what? Yeah. Why? You know, That's all right because- though, because you deliver it and it feels great. Just give them about, give them about 20 minutes. They'll, they'll, they'll oh. be back. My, my oh, thing, my thing with, guys. my thing yeah. with partials, I do these, I do try-ins. We all love the try-ins, everything like that. What is it when it goes from wax to acrylic? It's, it's like they put razor yeah. blades in there or something like that. Like everything's horrible with it when it becomes acrylic and you've got these, you got these undercuts that you just didn't have in wax or something yeah, like that. Exactly. And, and, that should have sent into space in some capsule and it goes through some metamorphosis. And by the time it comes back process, it has nothing to do with the. Yeah, I did. I, I did it. Why do a try in if it's going to do that? My gosh. And of course, I'm sure that you know, my skill set is, is not to like, I don't like doing them. It's in, it shows for everyone, you know? So it is frustrating that like, as soon as, as soon as the material is like not wax, I'm toast. I've kind of, that's right. Um, and I'll tell you what, what kills me is labs can do a metal framework pretty well. And what happens, you know, they're shipping it out to, to, there's like probably like one lab in the whole United States just does metal framework. Um, but you get the framework try and you're like, man, this is great. I can do partials all day long. And then you add teeth on them and, and, exactly. and it's like, it's like the world ends or something. It's unbelievable. I said it today. I, and so now it even discourages me more. So after I got bitten by the, the guy who, who Thursday said, this feels great. He was in there for an adjustment for like 13 hours today. Yeah. So the next patient that had to have a partial, that's when I told that guy, yeah, yeah, we're not doing one and yeah. you won't like it. And, we're just not, I'm not doing it. And that's it. So I don't know. I remove it, removable is removable is it takes a special person. There are people who like it too. That's the other thing. There are people who are like this. I, I do that all day long. I'm just like, well, like you said, Ryan, Ryan calls a freaking stud on that. You know what the deal is though? He, Ryan doesn't ever want to hear this. No one wants to hear it. Ryan, Ryan is like a, um, he's like a, an X man. Like, you know how they're mutants. And they yes. have they have they have a special mutant power. Ryan's Ryan has mutant powers for dentures, because I don't think I don't think I could go into Ryan's office and have him train me up and me be able to do what he does. I don't nope. like he has he has a special aura around denture patients. I, and I I totally agree with you that he found his niche with that early. The, the yes, very early. And the beauty of it is there's not much competition with dentists because they're like. Have Here, it. You have, have at this. it, man. Laugh. Have this. Totally. Totally. Yes. And that is as a business model. If you find your niche early like he did, yeah. hell, man, run with that. And I mean, he's he's got the multiple office thing going. It's really funny. You go into Ryan's office, it smells like three things. First, it smells like money and cigarettes and Mountain Dew. So it smells like in Ryan's office, I'm telling you. You know what? That's That pays the bills. Yeah, you bet it does. that's your denture patient. Yeah, you know. 
I, the cigarettes and Mountain Dew smell wouldn't work very well for me if there wasn't a lot of that money smell around there too. Exactly. That that, that makes it that makes the cigarettes and Mountain Dew kind of tolerable. Yeah, it is. So, yeah. uh, but you know, it is crazy. He is a savant too, because it's one. It'd be one thing if you're you could like look at him. Go, oh, he's just a denture hag. You know, you look, you look at the stuff he does. It's it's really good. It's really good. And like the patients, he'll he'll do the surgery and place this place the denture the same day, and it's like better than any full mouth rehab like I've ever done. I've ever attempted of anything like that. He just That's knows it. he just knows That's how to gift. do it, man. It is a gift. The dude's a gift. That's a gift. He can have that gift. That's a gift that I don't want. I don't either. It's a, it's a gift that I'm going to be given from someone else and re-gift it to yeah. you, Ryan. Here you go. Ryan, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly it's right. So, so we've determined that it's okay to be a single-tooth dentist. Yep. Um, it, it's also okay to be a, a big cosmetic rehab guy, but it makes sense if you're – it makes sense for the that person who has that skill set to be doing that. In other words, let's be honest. Uh, it's a waste of John Coyce's time to be to be prepping, you know, a quadrant of composites like I would be. It's a waste of his time. <laughs> I, I suspect he probably doesn't do a lot of a lot of posterior composite work. I now knowing, you know, you and I have both taken his course. He he teaches more than just full mouth rehab. Obviously, he teaches. He actually. He actually teaches about risk uh, and risk management in, in dentistry, which makes a ton of sense. We all should know a that. A lot but. of sense. And that's, that's pulled me out of a lot of situations when I was about four or five years into a career, started taking his stuff. Yeah. And, you, and you see it and you go, all right. And it's great to learn from somebody else who's been there and who's at a high level. You're like, yeah, I've tasted that a couple of times. Well, there was, there, was a time, there was a time when a person who came in with a lot of decay – like a lot of decay, and and you're like, you know, this person just—I mean—they've lost a lot of tooth structure to the, do this decay. They just need crowns, and you know, <laughs> and I mean, when I was young, that's it made sense. Wow, his teeth are really broken down from this decay. We should do some crowns for this poor guy. And you're just like, you're, you're just like that's that's the guy you go you you prep a quarter of crowns, you take the temporaries off, and literally it's been three weeks since you prepped them, cleaned them all up, and they're already rotting underneath the, temp- the temporary. You're like, what? you're like, what happened here? Oh, I know, I, I know it'll fix. I know it'll fix this. Permanent cement will fix this. That'll keep it. That'll, that per- makes perfect sense. Oh my gosh, you know, and and you went. You went to you went to to Coy's and like the very first thing he said in Coy's one was like you know some people just don't deserve teeth, <laughs> and you're like wait a uh-huh. second, I thought what? I was supposed to fix everyone's teeth. Wait what? Oh yeah, exactly. It is honestly, um, you know I I can rec- I've taken Spear, I've taken Coy's, I haven't taken all of them by any means. I've taken all of them, and I I can highly recommend all of them. But your life will change when you take Coy's one. He starts talking about basic like like risk. Like, to, like literally just assessing patient risk. No one else is really doing it in the way that he does. Nope. When I'm a grown-up, when I'm a grown-up, I'm going to have Coise's software for my practice management software. I really, uh, I really am. It's going to be, it's amazing stuff. Is it really? Oh well, yeah, I, I got a chance. I, I got a chance. I'm hopefully going to get a chance in a couple months to go see. Um, I interviewed John Junior. Johnny, they call him. It's really funny to call what? a guy Johnny who's like six eight. He's huge, big, tall. Can you call him Johnny? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was told to call him Johnny. I'll call him anything he wants me to call him, to be honest, because he's like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, too, and he's he's like a head taller than I am, so I'll call him whatever he wants me to call him. Yeah. But actually, he's a super sweet guy. I saw him in Chicago, too. Great guy. And their software is as well thought out as Coise's courses are, just 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 so you know. I mean, that's like 
their software is really good. So like I said, when I'm a grown up, I'm going to go take more Koi's courses. I'm going to get their software. It makes perfect sense. When, so when I, after about- I, after I sell my practice and start my practice over so I can, so I can do it the right way instead of trying to change things on my existing yes. patients where they don't want to be changed. Two chairs, no hygiene, all cash. Hey, we're going to do this. <laughs> Dude, I, and, wa- I want that so bad. But you know I'm what? Gonna- I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I, I am not good enough to – and, and that's the other thing, too, is that like that same two-chair practice, that little, that little um, yep. fantasy practice that I like to think about when I'm driving back and forth to work. See, you don't have a long commute, so you don't have, you don't have the time to think about that fantasy practice like I do. That fantasy practice is awesome, but what it would require is the discipline for me to not puss out on all the things that I say I'm going to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, like on all the tough changes I'm going to make, I, it would require me to not be a wuss. And I don't know, I'm not good enough. I, I don't think, I think I would cave. And then, then I'd have another practice like I do now where I like, I cave in and do compromise stuff all the time. Well, you need a $30,000 consultant to sit there and yeah. tell you not to do that. Actually, what I should do is just train my assistant to like punch yes. me in the kidneys whenever yes. I do anything like that. I have a, I have an assistant that literally she's just waiting for me to ask her to do that. <laughs> she, <laughs> is, is she Eastern European? Because I found it. those assistants love to do that. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like um, I feel like that. That's what I would need. I would need like an assistant that literally is perfectly willing to to, to do violence to me. And I think I might be able because I am. I'm 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 just not that good. Just not that good about all the all the things. I'm I'm good at talking about stuff. I'm not actually good at following through. Yes. Frank, I have to tell you, we uh we didn't even come close to getting to what I was going to talk to you about. So we'll have to have you on again. Like the one thing I was going to talk talk to Frank about, we never even got to, was the fact that Frank went back to school as a as essentially midway through, kind of almost on the end of you know going maybe closer to the second half than the first half of his career, went back to school, and we didn't talk about it at all. We, we can talk about that at a later time, but I'm all about uh, the non-traditional route and spending 13 years in undergrad studying <laughs> stuff and selling processed cheese before you go into dentistry. I, I think it's... <laughs> I completely, I completely... And actually, um, doing... Uh, doing uh, testicular uh, surgery on baby pigs too. I think that's probably that's probably a, a that's non traditional. If it's not a resume booster, it should be. Yeah, I'm telling you what. I don't know that I put that on any resumes. Now I feel like I should have. A little bit of trivia there. Uh, you know Matt Ray. Sure. Right. He had uh, the item that you described where you castrate the pig. Yep. Uh, you know, I collect older things. Matt collects older things. So when we met in dental school, I went over to his bachelor pad, and he had that instrument out, <laughs> like on a shelf. And I said, what's that? And he goes, oh, this is the castrated pigs. <laughs> so, Matt, I hope you're listening because I've waited 20 years to even – it's never come up in a conversation before. How, yeah, how could it? How could it? But now it has. Now but it now- has. So uh, I believe come full circle. I can retire and do two chairs of dentistry. I'm telling you. Let me know how that works out for you. Dr. Frank Clayton, thank you so much for being on the Alan Experience. We'll definitely do this again. We just we literally just scratched the surface. So we'll talk to you again real soon. Scratch later. I appreciate it. If you guys like the Alan Experience, go to the Facebook page on Facebook, Alan Mead Experience. Uh, the the code word is premiere to get in. We'll get you in. A lot of good conversations there. You can go talk to Frank and me and all kinds of folks there. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>